thank you for listening to another Hastings NAS podcast. We are so pleased that you have shown interest in listening to this podcast, and we pray that it is edifying and beneficial for you. You can watch us live every Sunday morning on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hastings NAS. And if you are so inclined, you can support the ministries of the church by going to HastingsNAS.org slash give. Hope you enjoy this sermon. Grace and peace. And I want to invite the the rest of the church to stand for our scripture reading this morning. We're going to read from two passages again, as we've been doing during the series, two passages that maybe don't seem to connect initially, but I think hopefully we can see that there is a narrative throughout scripture. Um, We're going to read from Revelation 3 and Romans 12. Would you follow along with me? The words are on the screen. This is Revelation 3, 15 through 17. I know your works, uh, Jesus says uh, through John to the church. I know your works. You are neither hot nor you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And then from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. <clears throat> Paul's, church, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what the will of God is, so you might discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. <clears throat> a different call and response this morning. I, want, I wanted to change this up, and I, I think this is appropriate and good, and I want us to be able to respond accordingly. Church, would you hear what the Spirit is saying to the world? Be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Recently, I've been, uh, I've been going on paddleboard rides with my dog, Aldo, um, Amen, right? Some of you have seen it. I love to get out on the water whenever I can. Aldo is a great companion. Zach, I we didn't talk about it yet. I don't know if you saw it. The, I think maybe there's an image that... that uh, there we go. Look at that. Um, <clears throat> Aldo loves to go paddleboarding with me. He's small enough to not really affect the balance of the board, but he's athletic enough to hang out on the board without issue. Um, this is on Campbell Lake up on 84th Street. We have a good time paddling. I put a life jacket on him. Um, mainly because he's such a black-haired dog that if he falls in the water, he's really hard to see. Um, and also the handle on his back is really nice. I can just kind of yank him out. Um, but he does a good job of staying on the board. He almost never falls off. Uh, he really only falls off if he loses his balance, and he only really loses his balance if we're stopped, if, 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 we're, if we're not moving, if we're drifting. Or maybe sometimes if I turn too quick, he kind of, you know, falls over. Um, but that doesn't happen. When I stop, what's really interesting is when I'm not paddling, do you know what he does? If I'm paddling, if, I'm, if we're moving, do you know where he goes? Right there. Right there, up on the, up on the picture. He goes to the front of the board. He sits on the, on the nose of the paddleboard, and he's just looking out, and he's enjoying the world. But when we stop, do you know where he goes? He doesn't hang out on the front. He comes to the middle of the board and stands right between my feet. Do you know why he stands there? It's the most balanced place on the board. He's directly underneath me. He's in the middle. Because when we're drifting, thank you, Zach, you can take the picture down. Uh, When we're drifting, do you know what happens when you drift? 
you lose your balance. When you're drifting, you can fall off. When new people learn how to paddle, there's a, there's a way to, there, to instruct them to help them succeed. For new people, you don't just stand up on the board and start going. Uh, that might be a challenge. What you do is you instruct them to sit down, sit on your, on your bottom on the board. You have a low center of gravity. It's easier to sit on a board than stand on a board and start paddling. Then once you have a little bit of momentum, once you're moving, what do you do? You get up onto your knees, lower center of gravity, but you know a little bit higher up, a little bit more ability to paddle. And then once you get more momentum, then you can stand up because it's much easier to stand when there's movement. It's hard to stand up on a paddleboard when you're drifting, when you're just floating, like riding a bike, right? How many of you, when you get on a bike, you, just, you, 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 you hop on the bike, you get on the bike, and then you just sit there for about 60 seconds? Is that how you ride a bike? What's going to happen if you just plop on a bike, pick your feet up and put them on the pedals and just sit there? Why? There's no momentum. There's some people who can do that, and it's actually really impressive. Uh, But most of us, when we're sitting on a bike that's not moving, you just fall off. It's hard to keep your balance on a bike when you're not moving, isn't it? Drift happens when there's no movement. Drift happens when there's no effort. Drift happens when things are stagnant. And when there's drift, you are easily tossed by the waves and pulled by the current. When there's no movement or activity, it's easy to succumb, to be conformed, if you will, to the world around you. Drift doesn't just happen on a paddleboard or a boat or a bike. There's also such a thing called missional drift. And missional drift is when an organization loses sight of its mission, of its purpose. When that happens, it enters what's called missional drift. It loses direction, it loses focus, and eventually it loses the things that matter most to that organization whether it's the sale of that product that they're selling or the retention of its employees or the maintenance of its place, missional drift leads to loss. And it it leads to being pulled in ways that maybe you didn't intend to be pulled. There are currents working. And truthfully, for the church coming out of COVID... I am convinced, and I hope you are as well, that it is absolutely essential that we avoid missional drift. Because you know what happened when the pandemic started? Everything stopped. When the pandemic hit, it wasn't just us. It was businesses. It was other organizations. Things, the world just kind of shut down. I don't know if you remember, it was two years ago now. It was a strange time, wasn't it? But here, you know, out of love for those who are vulnerable, out of, uh, out of a, an attitude of compassion, we made the decision to be a bit more conservative. And one of the things that happened was we stopped a lot of things. One of those was discipleship in small groups. We stopped our meeting together in small groups for long periods of time. And many churches started to drift. Many churches 
lost sight of their core mission and they lost their balance and people fell off. Um, I know churches that are running half their membership. They were two years ago, three years ago. I know churches that are running a third of their membership from three years ago. I know churches that are closed. And the truth is we're not immune to this either. We're not immune to the drift that took place when we stopped. Which is why I'm so convinced that this missional movement is so absolutely essential for us at this time in this place. Because we're not called to drift. Christ never said to his disciples, hey, go just kind of hang out. Christ never said to those who would be his followers, hey, you know, just, you know, whatever. Whatever, just like be, just like chill. No, he sent them out. We're not called to drift, church. We're called to go. And a hard word from, from Jesus to the churches in the book of Revelation is, comes from what we just read earlier. In Revelation, Jesus says to John the Revelator, to, to the church through John the Revelator, he says to them, did you hear that? Maybe that's why we didn't say thanks be to God, because that was a hard passage to read. I know your works, Jesus says. I know that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you would be something, be anything but lukewarm. Be hot or be cold because, geez, good night. I'm sick of drinking lukewarm coffee. I'm sick of it. I'm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth because you're doing nothing. I wish that you would be something. This isn't saying that being cold is bad and being hot is good or that being good, cold is good or that being bad is hot is bad. This is saying nobody likes lukewarm coffee. You don't go to the coffee shop and order lukewarm coffee. You know, if you could just get me that coffee from yesterday, it's been sitting out for about 12 hours, that'd be great. I love lukewarm coffee. Who doesn't, right? No one in their right minds really likes lukewarm room temperature coffee. Have you ever had a cup of coffee that was sitting out for you don't remember how long? You got a coffee mug on the counter. You don't remember when you filled it up. Or you're in the middle of a project and you just kind of lost track of time and you go back to grab your cup of coffee and you pick it up, you're working on that thing, you're not paying attention, you take a drink and it is room temp. Isn't that about the worst thing in the world when you're expecting hot coffee and it's just... We don't order lukewarm coffee. That's a bad surprise. We drink hot coffee or iced coffee. That's a thing now too, right? When I go to get drinks, just yesterday I ordered a hot coffee and Kayla said, bring me home an iced coffee. Neither of us ordered a lukewarm coffee. And that's what Jesus is saying here. We don't drink lukewarm things. We drink warm or cold things, but rarely lukewarm, rarely room temp. Rarely is that the, pref the preferred option. Jesus is saying, hey, you're lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth unless you do something. This lukewarm faith is the faith of the drifter. This lukewarm faith is a faith that isn't moving, that isn't doing, that isn't going, that has no direction, that is without purpose. Saying to this church that's just kind of 
floating, just kind of bouncing in the waves. What are you doing? The wind is blowing. You have oars on board. Why are you drifting in the midst of this turbulent water? Grab a paddle and move. Raise the sails and go. This lukewarm faith, the byproduct of drift, is true for both organizations and for people. I don't want to talk for a moment, not just about an organization, but about us. Have you ever felt drift in your spiritual life? Have you ever had seasons where you just feel like you're bobbing and floating? Do you fear that your faith might be becoming lukewarm? I've been there. Do you want to experience what the Spirit is doing in your life? Do you want to discern the direction of the Spirit? Where the Spirit is leading you? Good. I'm glad you do. If, maybe, I'll, I'll, I'll speak to myself then, then we got to start paddling. i got to start paddling. If you want to know which direction the Spirit is leading you, you can't just sit in the current. It's really hard to ride, ride the wave of the Spirit if you're not paddling. Now, I'm not a good surfer. I've tried. But it's really hard to catch a wave if you're just bouncing and bobbing among the current. If there's no movement, if you have no move, movement, you might just miss what the Spirit is doing. Because I'm going to tell you, church, the Spirit's going to do what the Spirit's going to do. The Spirit is going to move. We, we know, as we talked last Sunday, that we cannot contain the new thing the Spirit is doing in old wineskins. If this, the Spirit's going to get poured out, if we're trying to contain the Spirit in former ways, the Spirit's just going to spill out and do what the Spirit does around us, not in us or through us. The Spirit is going to move. The question is, are we going to ride the wave of the Spirit? The question is, am I in tune with what the Spirit is doing in my life? Do I have an awareness of the presence of God in my world? Can I see how the Spirit is moving? And can I ride the wave of that Spirit? Because I might just miss it if I'm drifting, if I'm floating. So if there's a word for you, for us, for me, it is this. Move. Move. Paddle. Excuse me. Participate in the holy habits of spiritual examination. Where is God at work in my life? Have I been able to sense the presence of God today? Because I know God was present, but did I miss it? Participate in the holy habits of the reading of Scripture. Not just the reading of Scripture, but the having the Scripture live within us. Participate in the holy habits of being quiet. That's a hard one for me, church. I'm an extrovert, and I like, you know, this thing, right? Being quiet is a spiritual formation habit. Participate in the holy habits of engaging in worship and discipleship. Then, then you may be able to discern the direction of the Spirit through your own spiritual formation. But I think this is also true for churches, not just individuals. If we, if we just sit on our hands, church, if we don't put them to work, if we don't, if we don't do anything, 
we might just miss what the Spirit is wanting to do in us. We might miss it. Or worse, Jesus might spit us out of his mouth. Or worse, Jesus might say, hey, you lukewarm folks, I got people, I got people you do not know about. I have ways in which I will work in this world that you cannot fathom. I'm going to do it. Would love for you to come on board with me. This is why we need the missional movement as an organization, as a church, as a body to ensure that we are not drifting. And our focus today, today's movement is belong. Belonging is the fourth of the five movements of the missional movement. Belonging is one of the quintessential Christian practices, Christian principles, Christian realities. Because Christ creates a place and a space, a kingdom, if you will, for us to belong. We have articulated as a church belong in this way through worship, discipleship, habits, and practices. All, all will see themselves as part of the body of Christ, essential to the life of the church, and reflect its mission. That is, because you are a part of the body of Christ and because you are a part of this expression of Christ's church, your life looks different. The way you think and the way that you act and the way that you interact is different because you belong to to us. The hope is that once folks have been welcomed and have been bridged, they will find themselves in a place of belonging where they can say, those are my people. I am their person. I belong to them. You see, for the first three movements, engage, welcome, and bridge, I'm going I'm to ask a question. just want to let you know. Uh, there's a question. Uh, for engage, welcome, and bridge, the question is, who bears that burden of responsibility? To engage our community, to welcome people into the life of the church, to create bridging relationships from within the body. Who bears the burden of responsibility for that? We do. It's our obligation. It's our opportunity. We engage our community. We welcome people into our community. We build bridges for folks to know that there is a place for them. But something shifts with these last two movements. As we go from bridge to belong and then into become, the burden of responsibility begins to shift. Not, maybe not entirely. Maybe not, maybe not it changes hands completely, but there's a, there's a shift. It's not that we don't have responsibility to create a space for belong, but things become more mutual in belonging. The truth is, you can't force anyone to belong. You can't force someone into a relationship or a... Yeah, how many of you have ever been forced to love someone? That's not love, that's Stockholm Syndrome. That's abuse. You can't force someone to love you. We can't force people to belong. What can we do? We can invite. We can cultivate our space. We can, we can make sure that people know that they are welcome and that they are loved and that they are valued. But the truth is, for people to belong to anything, there has to be some ownership of it. It's up to them to accept that invitation. 
So we as a church have the burden, have the opportunity, have the responsibility to, to do our best to create a welcoming atmosphere, and that's on us, but that responsibility is not only on us, it is shared. No one can force you to belong here. But the hope is that we are a faithful enough, faithful enough expression of Christ's community, that we are a city on a hill enough that when you belong, your life will begin to reflect Christ. That because you are a part of us, Christ is alive in you. It's kind of funny how when you become an adult, you begin to realize that you are your parents. Isn't it? Not, not in all things, of course, but maybe in small, taken-for-granted ways. Maybe the older you get, the more you're like, oh my gosh, I'm my mom. I'm my dad. Maybe the way you laugh is like the way your dad laughed or your mom laughed. Maybe the way you sneeze. That sounds funny, but I'm serious. When my parents visited just a few weeks ago, just last month, I sneezed. And my mom said, bless you, honey. My mom doesn't call me honey. That's her pet name for my father. Bless you, honey. And my dad said, I didn't sneeze. And my mom replied, oh, Danny, that was you? I thought that was your father. Something every 35-year-old wants to hear, right? <laughs> oh, you're becoming your dad. Okay. But isn't it true that you adopt the mannerisms and the phrases and the expectations from your family of origin? For better or for worse sometimes. Why? Why? Why do we do the things that our family did growing up? Is it because you share a last name? Well, maybe sometimes you say, hey, we're Quanstrom's. Okay? And Quanstrom's don't do that. Or Quanstrom's do that. Maybe, but why? Because that's where we belonged. That's where we belonged for, hopefully, the first portion of our life. Because your community forms your behavior, your community forms your thoughts, your community forms, I want you to hear this, your community forms your imagination. The lens through which you view the world is formed by a community. Not just yourself. Your perception of this world is formed by your parents, your guardians, those who raised you. Your imagination for this world is formed by the friends that you had in your childhood. It is formed by the community you surround yourself with today. The people you say you belong to are shaping how you see reality. Your imagination is being formed by others. And if you belong to the community of Christ, Hopefully, then your imagination is transformed into his. Because, you see, belonging to this community is not belonging like belonging in other communities. There's a difference between belonging to the church and belonging to a country club. Or at least there ought to be. There ought to be. Sadly, sometimes those, dis those differences are indistinguishable. <clears throat> belonging to the church is different than belonging to 
a community that, uh, that sells like multi-level marketing. Belonging to the church is different. You see, for the country club or for, for a multi-level marketing organization, you need to make sure that you're paying your dues. Right? You've got to pay your dues before you can be a member. You've got to hit these targets. You've got to do these things. You need to make sure that you're crossing your T's and dotting your I's before, before what? You belong. Only then can you belong. And you cannot belong until you behave in a specific way. For some of these organizations, and sadly for some churches, belonging follows behavior. Okay, when you do these things the right way, all right, cool, now you can join us. For the community of Christ, however, behavior doesn't precede belonging. It follows it. Christ didn't begin with saying, go and sin no more. He began by saying, I do not condemn you. Christ began by saying, come and follow me. The community of Christ isn't about behavior modification for acceptance. It begins by being accepted and by being welcomed and by being loved. Belonging for Christ's community is not about first and foremost, now listen to this, it's not about first and foremost making sure you have all your ducks in a row. Belonging to Christ's community is not about making sure all your T's are crossed and all your I's are dotted. Belonging to Christ's community is about, is about an encounter. Belonging to the people of God is about having an experience with Christ. Think about the Apostle Paul. That dude had all of his ducks in a row. That guy had everything squared away. I was the righteous among the righteous. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin. As according to the law, blameless. I had everything right. Everything was squared away for Paul. He had the religious system down. He paid all his dues. But it was not until he had an encounter with the resurrected Christ. It was not until he had an encounter with the resurrected Christ that he recognized, I need to belong here. Church, it's the same with us. It's no different for us. Do you want to belong to the community of Christ? I'm telling you, tithing won't get you there. As good and as valuable as that may be. And please don't stop tithing, okay? (laughs) But that's not going to get you there. Not swearing isn't going to get you in the club, as valuable as that might be. I'm going to tell you, going to church every Sunday, it's not going to get you there, as essential as that might be, and I believe it's essential to worship. But it's not about crossing your T's and dotting dotting your I's, Belonging begins with encounter. It begins with an acknowledgement that I am a beloved child of Christ. Not, not, not avoiding all the brokenness of my life, not in spite of all the brokenness of my life, but in the midst of it. I am a beloved child of God. I am deeply valued. I have been called and seen. I, who, have, who are most to be pitied, have been loved by the one who is without sin? 
Belonging begins with encounter. And it begins with an, an acknowledgement that Christ loves you deeply and values you eternally. Belonging happens. We are, a, we are a part of Christ's community, His body, through transformation. And transformation happens through the renewing of your mind, or maybe in more contemporary vernacular, transformation happens when you are given a new imagination. Think again back to St. Paul when he was transformed, when he had an encounter with the resurrected Christ. What happened to him? What happened when Christ was revealed to him? Something like scales fell off of his eyes, the scriptures say. He was given new eyes to see. His mind was renewed. He had a new imagination. His understanding of reality had changed because he had encountered Christ. Because Christ looked at him and said, you are killing my people. And you know what? I love you. Can you imagine? Do not persecute my people. Come and belong to them instead. Belonging begins with encounter. A new imagination. You see, we have a new imagination when our posture is open to receive the transformation that Christ has for us. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed with a new imagination so that you can discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Church, to ride the wave of the Spirit which is to discern the will of God for your life, begins with transformation. Begins not with making sure all your ducks are in a row. It begins with an encounter. And to be transformed, we need a new imagination. And we get a new imagination not when we're drifting. Okay? We receive a new imagination when we move, or maybe another way of putting it is, we fail to receive the imagination of Christ when we drift. We fail to have the scales fall from our eyes when we're drifting. Which is why there are no bystanders in the church. There's no such thing as a bystander in the church. There are no stowaways on board here. You know what happens if we find a stowaway? We don't throw them overboard. We put them to work. Oh, hey, you're here too? Great, guess what? We, maybe we don't put them to work. Maybe we invite them to the table. If we find stowaways, maybe we pull up a chair. If you belong, you share the mission of Christ for this world. If you belong to the body of Christ, you are not lukewarm. You go. You move. So as I close this message, I want to share a story of belonging for you. Like every other week in this series, I feel like I could share so many stories of the ways in which people who, who have become, begun to belong to this church have, se have seen that transformation in their lives. Or maybe a silly one is I could share about how frequently I hear people say, thanks be to God, in their regular communication. Not, in, not as a joke, but in reality. During the week, Solveig Wagner is here cleaning. She's cleaning the church a lot, and we are very grateful for what she's doing. But when she's here, and when I've heard her say this on, uh, more than a couple times, when somebody says something good to her, when there's something good to share, do you know what her response is very often? 
Oh, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. That's a new imagination that has been formed by our worship because of how frequently we say as a body, thanks be to God. I could tell stories about how people have found weekly communion formational in their lives. Now, we're of the evangelical umbrella where kind of the common thought is, I used to think, uh, the common thought has been, well, weekly communion is going to turn it into a meaningless ritual, right? To which I say, yeah, I'm only going to preach once a month. (laughs) We're only going to pray once a month. I only tell Kayla I love her once a month. If I tell her I love her too much, it's going to lose its meaning. That's how love works, right? No, I've heard it said, I used to think weekly communion would make it less meaningful, but the opposite has become true for me. The opposite has become true. The more I share in the meal of Christ, the more it has meaning, the more purpose it brings me. And you say to me, just a few Sundays ago, I did not have communion written into my manuscript here, but it was still printed on the bulletin, and so I didn't do it. And do you know what you said to me? Pastor, you skipped communion! And I said, oh my goodness, I didn't, but I did. That is our imagination being formed. And for what it's worth, John Wesley, from whom our tradition comes, said, I also advise the elders to administer the supper of the Lord on every Lord's Day. I can tell those stories, but those aren't the stories I'm going to tell. No, I want to tell the story of the oldest person I've ever baptized, and some of you might remember this. Quite a few years ago, we we received a visitor to the church. She had never attended church for any length of time in her life. She had lived a rather nomadic life, traveling around the country with a circus. She was rarely rooted anywhere. But later in life, she was planted here in Hastings. And some of you already know who I'm talking about. She passed just this last year, Betty Wendorf, and we miss her. You know, Betty didn't grow up in church. She didn't know the protocol for church. She didn't know what was expected of her, and I don't think she necessarily cared. It, was, it wasn't an infrequent experience that we would hear Betty towards the back of the sanctuary talking in a louder-than-whisper voice. Uh, it was a sweet interruption. Uh, we, it, would, it was not infrequent that she would be in the foyer talking about somebody's baby. If a mom went out there with their baby, chances are Betty was going to follow, and you'd hear her talking. It was a sweet interruption. But one of the sweetest, of mo- of sweetest moments of belonging happened for this person who'd never been a Christian in her life, who'd never experienced the community of faith in her life, who had never belonged to the community of Christ in her life, someone who didn't have an imagination of what Christ's uh, community in this Christianity thing was all about. And she came weekly with her good friend Don Dorman. She went to Sunday school. And slowly... Slowly, over the course of years, because she was welcomed by you, and because folks here invested in her and loved her, 
she began to belong here. And that was solidified a few years ago in early January. I remember it was in early January. I remember it was on the Sunday that is called Baptism of Our Lord, shortly after the season of of uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the season of Advent, and right before, in the middle of the season of Christmas, or right after the season of Christmas, the twelve days of Christmas, we have what's called Baptism of Our Lord Sunday, when we celebrate the Baptism of Jesus Christ. It's kind of in the first few days of January, and I remember that Sunday. I remember there was uh, an open invitation to remember your baptism. When you came forward to receive communion, like you normally do, the uh, the baptismal font was full of water, uh, and. And there was an opportunity for you to come and to submerge your hands in the water. Maybe you remember that Sunday. And to remember your baptism. Just to dip your fingers in and say, Ah, thanks be to God for the baptism I have received. When Betty came forward, she was one of the last because she sat in the back. And she stood right there and she looked up at me and, and she said, Pastor, there's nothing for me to remember. I've never been baptized. And I said, Betty, you've never been baptized. And she said, no, I've never been baptized. Would you baptize me today? We stopped what we were doing and we celebrated the sacrament. The sacrament of baptism with Betty Wendorf. Baptism of an 80 plus year old woman who had never known the love of Christ's community in her life. But after years of relationships, she said, Pastor, I need to be baptized. She received the transformation of Christ by the renewing of her mind. And the renewing of her mind happened because she belonged to this community of faith. Because she belonged to you. And I am convinced that there was a new name written down in heaven And I am convinced that we will have a sweet reunion with Betty Wendorf one day because she belonged to this community of faith. Because you loved her into the kingdom. Because this church welcomed her. Because this church bridged relationships with her. Because this church created a space for someone who had never known the expectations of a church. And someone who, who, who maybe didn't follow all the protocol that we had laid out for her. Because we created a space for her to belong. Because you created a space for her to belong. And because she took those steps to belong, she was transformed. You see, we belong not because we've paid our dues and done our time. We belong because we've had an encounter. Have you had an encounter with the resurrected Christ? Have you had an encounter with the one who says, I see you, yeah, even that part of you. Even that part of you, you don't like to talk to yourself about. I see you, and guess what? I love you, I have a place for you, come. Have you had an encounter with Christ? Has Christ been made real to you? Well, I can tell you, church, he is calling you, he is welcoming you, and he has a place for you. This is the good news of God for the people of God.